We're really glad you're here to worship with us today. Today is kind of a special day for us. Uh, some of you know, as a church, we do three things that we really want to focus on in helping you become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And the first one uh, is to gather for worship, as we believe that there's something really powerful when we come together as a church. We believe it's what we were designed and created to do, to worship God. And so we gather together to worship God, to study his word. Uh, but another thing that we really feel is important is uh, that we grow in the grace and knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, we grow in the grace and the knowledge. Um, sometimes people, you know these people, they've just grown in the knowledge of Jesus, but not the grace. You know, you know who I'm talking about? You got somebody in mind? Yeah, there are a lot of those people out there. We don't want to be that. We want to be the kind of church where we grow in grace and knowledge. And we believe that the only way you can grow in grace along with knowledge is to practice the things you learn in community by being a part of a small group where you can sort of live that out, flesh that out with you, your family, your family with other families. So we really put an emphasis, we really want everybody to be a part of what we call grow groups. And then finally, we want you to go. We don't want you to just gather here uh, in, in this building and, and be a Christian here. We want you to go into the world in the power of the Holy Spirit to, to, to make a difference, to be the hands and feet of Jesus everywhere you go. So we gather, we grow, and we go. Um, an important part of that in terms of growing is coordinating and uh, establishing our our small group ministry, our next-gen ministry, which is everybody from the cradle through college. We want to make sure we do that really well to give our next generation a, a, real, uh, a real hand up into their college experience and into early adulthood. So we think small groups for, for the next generation is just as important as small groups for, uh, for all the adults and their parents and grandparents. So uh, it's really ex- I'm really excited today to introduce you to somebody who we've been in conversations with for the last several months. Uh, many of you know we've had a couple staff changes and we've been looking for trying to see how the Lord would have us to sort of reshape our staff to more effectively uh, work alongside of you as we build the ministry here at this church in San Marco in the city of Jacksonville. So we, uh, the personnel team and some leadership folks got together and we sort of created a new position that we're calling Minister of Discipleship and Families. And uh, we've also been in conversations with, uh, with this fellow for a few months talking about that position and what he brings to the table. And so I'm really excited to introduce uh, Darren Sides to you today. He's going to come and he's going to be sharing the message with us. And so give Darren a nice, warm Southside welcome, if you would. And uh, Darren... Darren is a uh, Darren's a graduate of Southwestern Seminary, which is where I graduated from. So he already had, you know, a, a, in the in the he was on the he was on the, the the side of the force. He had that going for him. That was good. So uh, Darren and his wife Brandy's over here. So welcome Brandy as well, because we want to make sure. You know how we're glad that you're here. We know, we know behind uh, any guy who ever does anything good, there's a woman somewhere making that happen. So thank you for that. And, and rolling her eyes, my wife said. <laughs> but Darren, we're really glad you're here. Thanks for being with us today. Glad to be here. Yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't a part of DA, so um, I don't have that going for me. Uh, my sister did, though. So apparently y'all are puffins now. Do I have any DA grads? I always made fun of her because I said that they were cows instead. Um, but they didn't have a mascot at that point. So um, my name is Darren Sides, and today I'm talking to you about something that all of us have. Um, I enjoy asking questions and talking in questions because um, I, I think that it's good. I'm a teacher, and my students hate it because I ask them questions nonstop. Um, but I try to take that. I think it's good because Jesus did it. Um, I heard a quote that Jesus um, was asked about 80 questions. He directly answered five of them. 
and um, he asked 350, over 350 more back at them. So uh, Jesus asked questions. I think it's a good way of learning. So hint the title of today, which is a question. It's, are you stressed? Are you stressed? So we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into it. And uh, I'm going to have fun walking through James with y'all. So let's pray. God, right now, I just pray for us. God, as we come into the book of James, God, I just pray that you can just speak to us through your brother. God, that you can just speak through us about how do we overcome our obstacles and stress. How do we overcome the things that seem to weigh us down more often than not? So God, I pray all these things in your name. Amen. So we're coming on a great point in time, right? How many of y'all are glad that summer has come? Anybody? Yay. Notice the age demographic of people who raise their hand that summer has come. Um, typically, there are two times that I find inside a parent's lives that stress them out. Number one is Christmas because it stresses everybody out. Number two is the summer because the question becomes, how am I going to take care of my kid when they're running around like heathens? So that's the reality of what summer is, and it's a stressful time. How many of y'all enjoy going on summer vacations or do it a lot? Anybody? All right, cool. Less excitement there. I don't know what that means. All right, she is very excited, and I like her. She drank her two cups of coffee, so we're going to roll today. Um, But... Summer vacations are very stressful, right? Any of y'all have ever been on one knows it. My family, uh, my dad's favorite summer vacation was the beach. I don't know why, but we took time going to beaches. His second favorite summer vacation to take us on was amusement parks. So I spent an early part of my life riding every kind of roller coaster that exists. However, my dad hates flying, so we drove everywhere. And if you've ever been on a summer vacation and you're a parent, you know what that's like. Because somewhere at Daytona, when you get onto I-4, World War III breaks out inside of your car, right? And it involves stress. And naturally, we all have things that stress us out. And so burdens can be good and bad. And we call that stress burdens, right? And so it can be good and bad, right? Bad stress. We all know that. And that's what we think of when we think of stress. What is bad stress? Bad stress is I got sick. My child's sick. There's something going on. I lost my job. Bad stress. But we also have good stress inside of our lives. Right? Nobody would come out and say that a baby is bad and having a baby is bad. But it's a major stress in our lives. Nobody would say that a job promotion is necessarily a bad thing. But along with that comes an attitude of responsibility that you have to take on yourself. And so there are good things that can weigh us down as well. And we don't call them stress, we call them burdens or some other word, but really, it's all stress. And so our burdens can be good or bad, and when we have burdens, we take one of three reactions to them. All right, you learn this, some of you psychology people, you know the first two, right? Fight or flight. And the last one you know is fright. And so fight, flight, or fright. We all occur this, right? If you're in your car traveling down 95, getting on I-4, you see all these inside of this travel on a vacation, right? Fight. That was me and my sister in the back of the car. Um, I have my personal space, and she has hers, and mine was always trying to expand. The only problem is she's five years older than me, and she could still beat me up at that point in the car. And so um, she wanted her pillow room to fall asleep so I wouldn't annoy her. 
and to listen to CD players. Some of y'all don't know what those are. It's okay. I don't know what a tape player is. So, yeah, fight. Um, and some of y'all know what eight tracks are, and I feel sorry for you. So, the second aspect is flight. This is my mom when we stop at a rest stop because she wants to quickly get away from us as fast as possible. In fright, this is again me and my sister after my dad has come down on us for being in the back seat and my mom fleeing at the rest stop. And so fright occurs. And all of us have something. And I want you to recognize your natural inclination towards one of these, right? So if you're a fight, you know, there's no problem big enough, but you want to bring it on and you want to fight it out. Flight happens inside of life when we see these burdens. You may sell the car, you may quit the job, you may quit the family, you may run, you fly. And you go as fast as you can away from whatever is bothering you. And then you have fright. And fright's the one where you just stop. You're kept still and you're stopped for the rest of your time. So, do I have any fights out there? Anybody? Right? All right, good. I'm a fight. All right, good. I'm glad y'all are here. All right, do I have any flights out there? You just run? Thank you for admitting. I got two, two, three, four. Yes. All right. This is the hard one to get raised hands because they're afraid of it half the time. How many of y'all are frights? Do I have any frights out there? Right? I see a bunch of these going on. I got some brave frights. All right, cool. So we have natural reactions to this. And I brought this bag up here because I love my bag. Um, I enjoy meeting pastors at Starbucks because they make fun of my bag. That's all right. I love my bag. We are like bags. So then you look at this. Look at yourself. Okay? Because we all exist as a bag. Bags are great. I love this bag. I think it's cool. It has these little pockets, and I nerded out and watched YouTube videos before I bought this bag online, because that's what I do. So, I love this bag, all right? But this bag, it has capacity limitations. I had to get a bag that fit my computer, because it's gigantic and has a full number thing, because I'm a nerd, all right? And so, I had to get a bag that fit my computer, but it has to fit everything. It's only our lives. We have capacity issues. There's only so much that we can fit inside of our time. But this bag also has weight limits, right? If it gets so heavy, it can just be a few objects. But if it's so heavy, it just weighs us down and we have stress. And this is what we're coming at today. We're coming at this and we're going into a place to where it's saying, how can I not fight? How can I not flight? How can I not fright? But what can I do to try and get through stress, Because sometimes these natural reactions aren't the way that God kind of wants us to live. Because we're not truly experiencing a life that is full and refreshing. We're not experiencing this living water from John, right? We're not experiencing this attitude that we have victory if this is how we're going through it all the time. Because half the time, even the ones who fight and say, well, I'll have victory, it's not really done the right way half the time. So, we're coming out of James James chapter 5, we're going to go in verse 7, if you have a Bible or an iPad. So, to act in faith, the goal of today is to teach you to act in faith and to really look at what does James say about acting in faith. And so James, a little background on James. James was the brother of Jesus. James, um, there is no recording inside of Jesus' life that James ever believed in Jesus. In fact, when you look at James inside of the Bible... And Jesus' family, the one time that you see all of Jesus' family around Jesus is when they're trying to hide him and try to get him to be quiet inside 
of his hometown. Um, and so they, they're not really supporting Jesus. But James is the brother, and after Jesus has, has died and rose again, James becomes one of the most influential people inside of the church. He becomes the senior pastor of the Church of Jerusalem. And that is a church that has major issues, major stresses. Inside of there, James has to deal with the religious people who are constantly going against him and that ultimately stone him. Inside of that, James has to deal with people who are going through, and the people are now being ostracized from their families and from their work, all because they're choosing to follow after God. And so this is the thing, and if I think there's anybody who can teach us about stress the most, I think it's James. So what does James say to us in James 5, verse 7? Starts out, right? Be patient. How many of y'all hope that he didn't start there? Right? We live in an impatient world. Do any of y'all make the trek north on 95 from, like, south, further south? Do I have any people who, like, hate that drive as much as I do? All right? The drive is crazy because we have these speed suggestion limits on the side of the road (laughs) that say 45. And we were on the way here today. And I looked over and I saw 45 and I looked to my left and there was a cop going 65 with two people behind him going like 64. And so because clearly the cop's not going to bust you if you're following him. So we live in a time that's impatient. We live in a world that's clearly impatient. We go out and we microwave our food, but we sit there and we watch it and success rice takes 10 minutes and we feel like that's an eternity and we just stare at it. But half the time I get so tired of staring at it, I open my iPad and I have to watch TV on Netflix because the 10 minutes is taking too long and I have to get my movie streamed to me so I can pause it and play it back. And so I don't have to deal with those pesky things called commercials, right? And so I look at it. And so we go through life and we are extremely impatient people. But how do we deal with stress? James starts out, be patient, And you may say, well, how long does that take? How long do I have to wait? How long is this sermon going to last? How long is everything going on? And the reality is is that when you're impatient and when you're going through this, you have to recognize the way God views time. Because we look at time through ourselves. We look at time from our perspective. And that's not how God looks at time. God looks at time not through a lifetime, but through generations, through millennia. And so be patient is the key point with James. Be patient. Be patient until when? Until the coming of the Lord. That's been a long time. That's been like 2,000 years. Right? One of my favorite, or one of my most hated responses from my parents, and I think it was their favorite to give to me, was when I'd ask for something, they'd say, give it a few. Right? For them, and for me, it's a few minutes. For God, it's a few thousand years. And so sometimes we have to be patient. We have to be patient. Keep reading verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth. Be patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. So here, here's this example of patience as farming. This is something that those people knew well. This is something I don't know well because I'm not a farmer. Okay, every time in class we try and grow those lima beans, mine always died because I'd overwater it. And so I am not patient, and I don't know how to farm. But the example is still true to us, if we can imagine it, because we've seen documentaries on farming. Um, 
what is farming? We know, and if we picture us as a church like a farm, we'll understand this, right? Because we are a farm, and each and every one of us is a tree. The biblical perspective is we are a vineyard, and every one of us is branches off of the vine, which is God. And so through this, we have to understand that there are seasons within our lives. And our job is to produce good fruit. But if you've ever been on a farm, you know that it takes time for something to become seasoned. It takes time. If you've ever eaten a sour grape, or you've ever had something like a coconut that was not quite ripe, or a coconut, a cantaloupe that was not quite ripe, you know that there is a season for everything. And so there are seasons. There are seasons of growing. There are seasons of feeding. There are seasons inside of our life. And here's the key. The season is different for everybody. So we have to be wary about looking at other people and thinking, why are you not there yet? Why are you not ready yet? Why are you not growing yet? Why are you not mature? Because the season is different for everybody. And we have to look around and we have to realize that there are different seasons for different people. And God's working on some people in some ways and other people in other ways. And it's great. It's what makes us great. Because each and every one of us, he's doing something individual inside of our lives. And he's working on it because God is patient with us. And so we need to be patient with others. So be patient. Keep reading verse 8. In verse 8, you also be patient. I think we've came across a theme. So if you don't remember anything, remember, be patient the next time your kid or your spouse or that coworker annoys you. Be patient. Be patient to what? Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Your heart is a key idea inside of the Bible. It's mentioned some 900 times inside the Bible. And your heart is essential to biblical growth because although it's not talking about the physical organ, it's talking about that thing which makes up who you are. And so establish your hearts. That word establish is a term that has this idea of strengthening, so physical strengthening. If any of y'all have ever lifted weights, um, you know that you don't all of a sudden become Arnold Schwarzenegger overnight. You don't. You don't become that. Instead, you have to train, and it's physical, and it's long, and so we have to establish our hearts, and it takes time. Inside of verse 7, it started talking about the early and the late rains. That was something that they knew as farmers. Okay, there was an early rain, and there was a late rain inside of that region. region. And so as you would wait, the farmer wouldn't just sit on his chair and just wait while they're waiting for the early and late rains before the harvest. Instead, they're going to sit there and they're going to weed and they're going to till and they're going to work that field so that way they can take care of those plants that are growing. And so establishing is not something where it's passive, but it's active. And so how do we establish our hearts as people to deal with stress? I think there's three things that are good. Number one, you can just read your Bible. Read God's Word. Number two, pray. Pray, pray, pray. And this isn't like rote memorization prayers because I grew up as a pastor's kid, so I knew how to pray, quote unquote, right? But that's not what this is talking about. And I remember one of the first times where I just like broke down with God and just started crying out to him. And that's something that's different because you're recognizing that God is both a bigger than you and can deal with your stuff. And he's personal, it's not just that he's over you and he's going to zap you and he wants you to do what's right and wrong. He cares for you and he wants to work on you. And so when's the last time that you've prayed earnestly and not just, God, thank you for this day. 
But when's the last time that you've ever prayed for God to work inside of your life and you've talked to him about how you're mad? It's something like a struggle. Because prayer is a conversation. And the third thing, find a fellow Christian. Right? Look out and find somebody around you who's going through life with you. One of the sweetest times that I had, I'm still great friends to this day, but my first church, we were friends before, but we grew deeper at that church. And as a staff, this wasn't something that the pastor told us to do. This is something that we wanted to do. And so we woke up at an ungodly time in the morning, and we decided that we were going to meet at Denny's once a week. And we met, well, the first place was Waffle House, but that turned out horrible. So we went to Denny's. I'm sorry, Sherry, you like Waffle House, don't you? I'm sorry. Um... (laughs) But you go, and we met at Denny's, and we would just talk about life with each other. And we'd pray for each other, and they're still my friends to this day. We've gone off to different churches, but they're still my friends to this day, and I know I can turn to them at any point. And this isn't something that's a checklist, right? It's not like, yay, I prayed today. Yay, I went through. I have my friends, and I went, and I had my accountability meeting. And that's not what this is talking about. You know, I read my word and I read the Bible, this isn't about a checklist, because if there's anything that the Bible is not about, it's not about you meeting some kind of a checklist for God. It's about you forming this relationship with God, and you're working through it. And the best analogy to that is dating, right? When I met Brandy, I took her on a date, and I gave her flowers, and I paid for things, and um, I opened doors, and I think that part has stopped. I'm bad. Um, But... I go through life, right? And you can meet the checklist of dating, but it can be an absolutely horrible date if the relationship is not formed there. And any of y'all who are still single and looking to mingle, you know what that's like when you're trying to go out and you're just trying to meet some people. Because it's hard. Because you have to form a relationship there. And too often we approach God less like we're in a relationship with him. And we approach him more like he's just some guy who's over us with a clipboard trying to look down on us. And so that's the idea of this, and I think James does a good job here because he now takes it from the theoretical personal, and he applies it, and he applies it in something that's external. So here's the principle about how do I act in faith. Now's the question, do I really need to start acting in faith? And so he highlights three questions that are good to us to look at, and let's say, do we fail at these or not? Because if we fail, then maybe we need to start acting in faith some more. And so three questions quickly. Do you have problems with those people around you? Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. This is something we realize when we're living through life, is that when you're going through and you feel burdened, the more pressure you feel on you, the easier it is to start lashing out at those around you. And the shorter you become in your speech and your patience and your attitude and how you respond to people, that is what it is. Do you have problems with the people that are around you? Are you coming out and are you lashing out against those people? And so Jesus is sitting here and Jesus is described as something here. He's described as a judge and that's essential to know inside of this passage. Because most of the time we grumble because we feel like we need control or we need somebody to pour into us. And what this passage passage talks about is that it's not our place to judge anybody. So be patient because God's going to come back and God's going to judge. It's not saying we just treat everything like it's okay and we just let the world roll over us. But it's saying be confident in yourself and in your faith enough to trust that God has something bigger planned for you. 
Do you believe inside of your own problems right now that God has something bigger and better planned? Or are you just comfortable with resting your eternal salvation but not your personal life with him? Are you sticking through your issues? Are you sticking through your issues? This is found in verse 10 through 11. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So how's your steadfastness? Are you sticking through your issues? He brings up two ideas here, and that's of the prophets, who we see as heroes, but they were seen as crazies inside of their time. I mean, Hebrews chapter 11 highlights this. And you don't look at heroes and think of those at the end of chapter 11, verse 38, as people who are wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You know why they're doing that? Because the people rejected them. But the second example is even more touching, and that's the story of Job. And we need to be careful that we don't make a hero out of Job, and we need to keep him a man. He was a righteous man like no other, but he had to deal with the fact that ten of his children died. Can you imagine that? Put yourself that emotionally, and don't just gloss over like he's some hero. Ten of his children died in one day. He lost his entire assets. It's 401k. His stock market crashed after he had ten children, so you know he's probably older. And if you think your life was bad after the recession, imagine if you lost everything. He lost his health. He's sitting there on the ground, scraping off his boils with shards of pots. And the thing that he does have is he has his wife and his friends, and those aren't really good things to have for Joe, because his wife's idea to him in judging what should we do, his wife thought is, why don't you just cuss God out and have him kill you? All right, some good things not to do, um, right? Like, that's a list. Options I can do, but probably do not want to do. Let's just cuss God out and die. And then his friends come by, and his friends are people who went to seminary, but they have no ministry experience inside of a church. And so they come up to people, and they start judging him in light of karma. And they said, Job, you must have done something bad. we got to figure out what that bad thing is, because once we figure out what that bad thing is, hopefully your life will be good. And those aren't really good friends to have that approach you and say, hey, you screwed up, let's find out where you screwed up. And the idea of Job is that Job struggled with God. And it's okay to struggle with God just as long as you don't come out and you completely reject God. And so he went through life. And he went through life and he didn't quit. And that's the real story of these two inside of James. They didn't quit. The prophets had bad lives half the time. You would not want to live the life of a prophet. Job had a rough life, but they didn't quit. And I think too often inside of our lives and in our worlds, we have problems with stress and we quit. And so be patient. Don't quit. We quit on too much inside of this world. Stop. Don't quit your job. Don't quit your life. And too often if you quit, you go through life and all of a sudden you end up in places that you don't want to be in. Are you sticking through your issues? The last one, verse 12. Are you being honest and dependable with each other? But above all, that's a summary statement. My brothers, do not swear either by heaven or earth or by another oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no so you may not fall under condemnation. James is quoting his older brother here inside of this passage on the Sermon on the Mount. And the idea here is that James is approaching life, and James is saying, be dependable. Be dependable. It's so easy when our lives are stressed that we make the worst decisions possible. Because we lose the long-term view, and we start to focus on the short-term, and when we do that, we are no longer dependable with each other. 
Are you being honest and dependable with each other? Because God is honest and dependable with us. Even at his most trying point in Gethsemane, God still, and Jesus still had this prayer, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. And so he kept to his word, even when the strength and when the trials occurred. Are you keeping to your word today? See, Jesus kept the burden. I love these songs that we sang today because they all talk about the burdens that Jesus kept as he was going through with life. He kept it, and he died on the cross for us, and that was a very physically traumatic thing that happened to him. But what was worse was the spiritually traumatic thing that happened to him as he took upon our sins and our weight of sin all on himself, and somehow he was separated from God the Father, and I don't know how. But Jesus is sitting there on the cross, and he's on the cross, and he's dying for you and for me, and the cross didn't keep him there. He kept himself there because he could have came down at any moment. There's an individual application here. And it's do we trust what Jesus is doing inside of us? Because the cross is what we're called to do. It's why in John 6 so many people left him. Am I skipping? Are you at John 6 yet? In John 6, just wait, it's fun. Everybody leaves Jesus. Because he starts talking about how tough life is for a Christian. And so as you go through inside of this as you go through inside of this life things are going to be tough and jesus says i'm going to be there for you as you carry your cross i'm going to carry it with you it's not i'm going to take your cross from you because too often we act like if we just follow jesus he's going to remove everything from us it's that jesus is saying i'm kind of good at carrying crosses and so let me carry your cross with you Are you letting him? But this is deeper than that because this is more than just individual salvation. This is corporate sanctification, okay? There's a big church word. Let's break it down. This is about corporately, together. Are you living out your stresses with each other? Because life isn't about the roads, but it is about the circles. And so are you gathering together inside of the circles, supporting one another inside of your circles? Are you being dependable with each other? Are you grumbling with each other? All these things are external because James realizes the only way the church is going to survive is if we support each other. Because most of the time when Jesus helps us carry our cross, it's not Jesus physically helping us carry our cross. It's the person next to us. So here at Southside, there's something called grow groups. And are you a part of one? Because that's where you get help in carrying your crosses. And the last thing you need to do as you come into a grow group is say something like, I'm here so other people can help me carry my burdens. Because all the focus is still on you. And the focus should be on God. And so you should come in and you should say, how can I help somebody else carry their burdens? And here's the big thing of Christianity is that if everybody is doing that, if everybody is helping everybody else, your burdens are carried. However, if inside of a grow group, if you're so focused on yourself and you focus on it as if this is my internal place of growth and discipleship, then you're missing the point. Because Christianity is learned best inside of the context of community. Christianity is learned best inside of relationships. And so if you go to a grow group just to go to a grow group and you never develop relationships inside of that, you're missing the point of what discipleship is all about. Make disciples. That, inqu- that implies that you're going out and you're talking to other people. 
so how are you doing? Some of you need to have the individual part because you need to start this relationship because you can't act out in faith until you know Jesus. And there's only one thing that's worse in life as a Christian and living life as a Christian, that's living a life without Christ. And it's much tougher to do that, to live a life without Christ. And so you need to individually start this faith journey with him. And so on the card, just fill it out and request it. Because I guarantee you there are people here who want to be there for you. But corporately, as you go to grow groups or as you go out inside of this week, are you corporately lifting each other up? How are you doing? If those three questions are challenging in any one of those three questions, there's somewhere for you to work. It's the big secret of questions. I don't have to tell you where you're failing. You tell yourself. Because I fail at these. How are you doing? Let's pray. God, right now I just pray for this day, God. I pray as we go out through the rest of this week and through all the rest of this day, God, that we grow in you and we grow in support of you. God, help us, challenge us. God, grow us. And help us to deal with the stresses that are occurring, God. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen.